0: Thank you for joining us for another Hagley History Hangout. My name is Gregory Hargreaves, Assistant Director of the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library in Wilmington, Delaware. Now, as you know, during these History Hangouts, we like to bring you some of the great work being done by scholars who have received support from the Hagley Center in the form of research grants and fellowships of different kinds. One such scholar joins me today, Emily Baker is an artist and assistant professor of sculpture at the School of Art and Design at Georgia State University. Emily, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. Uh, Let's start by painting with broad strokes, so to speak. What's it that you're researching and writing about or working on at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always researching a lot of things at once, um, and that's when like sort of the overlap comes about. So I wanted to share a couple of things that I've been working on that got me to this point of of reaching out to the Hagley Museum. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'll share my screen now. Um, Okay, wait, let me try that again. Uh Great, Okay. okay. Um, so, this is a piece that I did in 2021. Um, and I was looking for, I'm a metal worker. Um, I do a lot of cast metal. Um, and I was looking for a fabric with ties to heavy machinery and like an industrial use. And ripstop came up in my research. Um, and so you can kind of see ripstop is a fabric that has nylon threads that was created to be more um, durable and withstand water. And it's used a lot now in like outdoors wear and hammocks and backpacks. Um, And so I was working with 3D scanning machinery and wanting to print it on a a fabric that made sense to industry. Um, And so that's how I came on like starting to research nylon. Um, And so what I did at the Hagley Museum is I was using DuPont's collection with their archive on nylon. Mm and before I went there, I collaborated with a friend of mine at um, Lifts in Albany, New York, and they were using um, nylon webbing uh, to make custom slings for he- like lifting heavy equipment. Hmm. And so I worked with my friend there um, to make a couple things and just to like research what they were, how they were applying um, a material that was originally used as women's hosiery um, in a very industrial um, practical, uh, they're using it for its strength. And nylon Mm -hmm. is often described as like strong as steel. That's like a very, like a thing that you see everywhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and as a metal worker, I was really, uh, intrigued by that.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and so then I did a couple of other castings where I'm, I'm wrapping industrial things in nylon and then casting them from Mm -hmm. that. And so, This hoist hook here, you can see sort of the grid. There's a toe at the bottom of this uh, cast iron hoist hook. um, And the toe is from the seam within the nylons. (laughs) So I'm trying to merge um, and blur the lines between women's fashion and hosiery and industrial applications Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So within that research, um, I was looking into garter belts and how they were... Um, using those to hold up nylon, which to me mirrored uh, the use of rigging equipment in industrial applications. Um, So I started to make uh, the clasp that's at the bottom of a garter belt that holds up the nylon. And these were used before lycra was added to the nylon Mm -hmm. um, because it didn't have the elasticity to hold itself up. And this was used for women and for men. Men were using garter belts like this to hold their socks up. Um, which I love that. <laughs> um, and so oh. I, I blew them up. I made it much bigger. I 3D printed a larger version, again, to blur the lines between what what object is used in rigging, um, like hooks and oblong shapes, and then also like inserting a version of the garter belt clasp to look similar to the other hardware and equipment. Um, So that's sort of how I got into (laughs) researching nylon.
0: Mm -hmm. And it seems like a a thread, forgive the pun, uh, (laughs) through uh, through your work is um, reading these objects for their multiple meanings, both in terms of their uh, uses in intimate settings close to the body, as well as Mm -hmm. industrial settings, um, especially for production. Could you perhaps unpack that a little bit for us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really like, um, I guess it started when I I read this um, article called Death, Sex, and Nylon by Christine Hume, and that sort of breaks down how nylon extended the body um, while also being weaponized. So um, at a time uh, early in World War II, um, women had to donate their, their nylons for the war efforts to be repurposed for um, war supplies, materials. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think also being a woman in a male dominated field, um, I exist in this space that not all people can understand, um, or have experienced. And so for me, I like to find the material. That's the common thread between these two worlds be that, Mm -hmm. uh, what is traditionally feminine versus traditionally masculine. And I like having my sculptures um, be something that is a common ground, you know, so I can exist in this male-dominated field while also talking about the origins of this material, which was actually produced so that we weren't as dependent on Japan for silk, uh, for fashion, uh, and that, and now it's being used in I mean so many other I'm sure medical usage and so many other applications of the material but I really liked learning about the origin uh, and I think it to me it feels like it highlights the strength of women in a way (laughs) abstract way I guess Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so the piece that I'm showing on the screen now is a, a weaving a tapestry it's not done it's very in progress but I'm trying to incorporate nylons within um i mean this is just material that's used on like backpack straps or ratchet straps Um, and then also putting a nylon hosiery within that Um, and it's sort of uh, a nod to weaving how they would use loom. they would use weights to hold um material taut and so i'm using my castings of the the clasp of the garter belt as the weight to hold everything down Mm. um so you know just sort of blurring like using the vocabulary of both and bringing them together.
0: Mm-hmm. Could you perhaps describe the process of creating this piece that we're looking at?
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess it started with make casting the, the the clasps. So I have cast brass and iron, um, yeah. and so with the iron clasps, I'm using the actual hooks and oblongs that were from that were actually discarded as um, no longer usable because they've been worn down too much and so the iron pieces i'm using the actual hook and the actual oblong but then with the brass cast brass i also cast the oblongs and the hooks in brass which would never actually be used in the field because it doesn't have um, brass as much more is softer than steel um and but then i also have the brass um clasps the larger clasps at the bottom of this piece to weigh it down. And so I guess I'm wanting people maybe who don't know either world to sort of be confused or assume that the, the garter belt clasps are actually used in industrial applications when they are not, (laughs) not yet. (laughs) So, so, I mean, and I'm not, I'm a sculptor and I usually use metal. So this is sort of my first entry into Um, using textiles and I, my body has been failing and I was also a competitive gymnast. And so I wanted to maybe do some work that I can sit down and do, but then Mm. I ended up making a giant tapestry that I had to stand to work on. So baby steps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what is it that put Hagley on your radar?
1: Um, gosh, I think, um, I stumbled upon a steel mill in upstate New York and I have a lot of archives from them. And I was trying to figure out the best place to house these archives. And um, a friend of mine, Jenny Sorkin recommended I reach out to Hagley and just see what's there Um, and how I can work with the archives that you have, but also I have my own archive. So the first time I applied, I, I was like, I kind of applied with like a BYOA like, can I bring my own archives? And they were like, no. And I was like, that makes sense. So then I, I then I started researching like what was in the collection. Um, and so it just was already in my radar previously. So when I started researching more about nylon, um, like that was a, a no-brainer to go to look into.
0: Hmm. Well, it's really curious, pardon me, curious to me as a historian that uh, you, you as an artist are collecting archival materials uh, what do archival materials mean to you as an artist and how do you use them um for your work
1: yeah yeah um i mean i feel like for me i've watched a lot of crime dramas growing up and mm-hmm. so part of me feels like i i approach research as a detective so i i'm looking at all the archives and i know like the answer is here somewhere <laughs> and i don't really know what the question is uh often i'm just like mining you know and so my time at Hagley I just spent photographing stuff because you never know like is this the thing you know that's gonna mm-hmm. unlock something <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: so um, like I have on the screen here this was um, an advertisement for nylon in DuPont magazine um, in 1943 and they're wanting to change the perception of what nylon is and can do and because I think a lot of people perceive nylon as just for hosiery and fashion and so this magazine is showing and i think it's also probably maybe my hypothesis it was to show the women that like their sacrifice of not wearing nylons is indeed uh th- like look this is what you're doing you're mm-hmm. helping them have tires and parachutes and hammocks um and also um it's it's use is contributing to the health and safety of personnel because it withstands a humid climate so um i guess using archives, it helps direct me with my choices that I'm making as an artist. So why am I using this color and not this color? Why am I using this material and not this material? Um, And so I I describe it a lot to my students as like um, having your, having an understanding of material is like the thesis statement of of your essay. Mm. So then when you start writing, as you continue writing your essay and you start going a little off track, you can go back to that thesis statement and be like, what is it that I was trying to say or talk about or or pose this question. And then that sort of recenters re- me back to the thing I kind of wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, looking at, at archives helps with that. Um, they were also coding, explosive uh, wires were insulated with nylon. And so it just adds another layer of confirming like what it is I want to say or helping me figure that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's fascinating! I really love that, especially your analogy to the detective story, and the and the thrill of <laughs> yeah. the thrill of discovering the smoking There's a gun.
1: thrill for sure. Mm-hmm. It, there's uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Um, I, so I wanted to also talk about like these two things that I have up on the screen, the nylon hosiery study of the consumer and also a psychological study of the consumer. Mm -hmm. These, when I was looking through the archives, these were like the gold that I found. And I first found the study of the consumer and only a couple of days ago, um, when I was talking to my dad about it, he found this psychological study and the study of the consumer. Um, when I first, I mean, it's not dated. Which is a bummer, <laughs> hmm. um, but uh, through my detective work uh, of researching and reading the psychological study of consumers, it references the first study as 1956. Oh, okay, so I'm, and everything that it it summarizes of the first study of being 1956, you know, I I concluded that that is the the first study is probably 56. So I don't know who I need to tell on your team, but I'm pretty sure I cracked this code. Oh, that's great. <laughs> But it was really oh. telling um, of because they're, they're asking women, why are you wearing nylons and what are your reasons and um, what are the things you're confused by? And there's stuff in there that was like really jarring to read, I guess, of, of how geared towards um, how geared it was towards men's perception of women, mm. like the entire thing. <laughs> and it shouldn't be surprising, but for some reason it still is. <laughs> well,
0: how, how so? how did that come across well
1: um in the first the 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 bullet points or like the the main things that they were talking about were the social one was the social necessity of wearing hosiery um another was opinions on attractiveness um another was the role of hosiery as a symbol of adulthood which
0: hmm.
1: now when i hear it i'm like oh yeah that makes sense but like i don't know wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought of. And then mm-hmm. also like some practical things because they're trying to learn about the consumer to be a better seller of the product to the consumer. So they were also asking about, there was a confusion of factor in buying hosiery and the different types available. And then finally, like the function of it for employment, warmth, and health. And so calling nylon hosiery a function of health, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> so- um, so that was like the juicy bits and like, mm-hmm. it had words like immoral. I was talking about morality of wearing hosiery. Um, and and so that was sort of surprising, but also another thing it talked about was um, when were they wearing them or when were they not? And so if they were at home and there was an absence of the opposite sex, then they weren't as likely to be wearing them. Hmm. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. And then actually through this research, I kind of forgot um, there was a brief moment in college where I was a Mary Kay beauty consultant <laughs> okay. and I went to a convention um, in Vegas and my director, you know, I went to this event and I was 20, it was like 2011 or something like that. Um, and I wasn't wearing nylons and she made me leave to get in a cab by myself at 20 years old in Vegas to go get nylons at the store and come back. And I totally forgot that that happened um, until I was doing this research. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so like, even now it's still, I mean, that was a while ago, 2011, but in terms of this being a study in 1956, I mean, so that experience I think also leads into Mm -hmm. like my interest in, the research of this <laughs> material.
0: What what was it that uh, uh, hosiery meant to y- your supervisor at Mary Kay?
1: Well, she was also from the South, and now I live in Georgia, so that's like another thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it was a a modesty concern. Hmm. <laughs> so.
0: So morality. That, yeah. Still, still, I was. Relevant. I was immoral. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. Yeah. Um so yeah and so just going through this research and reading like and also who made this study i'm sure a man typed all of these questions out and so they're at it's men asking women what their perception is that men are perceiving them as and so you know it's very cyclical um Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that isn't lost on me um and you know no it it the findings are, you know, almost twice as many young women as old believe that legs are just as attractive without stockings. Cool. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I just I think I still I still need to digest and like, you know, I've read this many times, um, mm-hmm. but I think every time I read it, I'm like another thing sort of comes up. But I think also the phrasing that's in this study, um, you know, the phrases of bare leggedness um in mm-hmm stockings play an integral role as a symbol of this attainment for most women and so a lot of these words are really juicy and can also help me with titling my work mm-hmm. um which is helpful because titles are hard to come by sometimes
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. um and so in this one it's talking about the role of hosiery as a symbol of adulthood so they they asked um you know at what age is there tension between mother and daughter, about when she should be wearing hosiery and that they want to be wearing it because it makes them feel more grown up. Um, And I wonder, like, what are the things that are our modern age tweens are thinking about now that's a symbol Mm -hmm. of them being grown up? Um, Mm -hmm. And also, like, what are the consumer reports for products now that we don't see um, that are probably happening Um, and so I'm curious about like the language in those, and, you know, I don't have anything to compare to, but, um, but these were sort of the questions that I started to ask myself Mm -hmm. as I was reading these.
0: Can we circle back briefly to, um, Mm -hmm. titling your work? It, Mm -hmm. it does Mm -hmm. seem to me that, um, the title, especially of a visual artwork has a lot of uh, heavy lifting to do because it's the artist's one chance to put some words uh, in right. the viewer's mind, um, so 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 what what do you think about that?
1: Well, I think um, I feel like I was never taught how to title work. I wrote a paper in grad school about different options of titling. You know, looking at Bruce Nauman's work or um, Joseph um of like how they were titling and methods for titling, um, because I feel like you only think about. I mean, some some artists like have a title in mind right off the bat you know but for mm. me I'm I have to make the work to even figure out if I like the work <laughs> so like once it's done I'm like mm, I don't hate it you know so <laughs> you have to see it um <laughs> but uh often I find that I I only have to title something when I'm submitting it to a show or applying to something and it, it asks to write the title and then I'm like crap <laughs> I don't have one so so having this um this research and this uh these documents, Mm -hmm. um, kind of make it a little bit, you know, and also I feel like the the piece can change every time you title it differently. Um, so, you know, even just pulling these phrases like self-imposed standard or his preference or, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and this one is talking about like this, this document here is talking about employment and what is the employer, want them to wear? And what is his preference referencing the employer that the women wear on their legs? And a lot Mm -hmm. of times they were like, nobody had ever talked to the women that they interviewed. And also what percentage of these women were working and had an employer, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. So, um, so having these, these again, as a detective, it's like helpful to kind of grab. And so as I'm researching, I usually have a timeline. So every time I find another fact, I put it on so I can actually Mm -hmm. understand the broad, the bigger picture because like again I'm a visual person I need to see it um <laughs> bless you but I also uh as I'm as I'm researching I have a, a list on the right of words that either are reoccurring or phrases or terminology um and so it's helpful to have sort of a word bank to choose from so I'm not just <laughs> having to guess like or make something up on the spot mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, I also wanted to share with you the other thing that I found. I was looking at a lot of advertisements, looking through the, the archive, um, and I, I saw so many. And um, and so that's the thing, you know, I'm just taking photos of the archive and trying to synthesize what it is that I'm seeing. And so one thing that I noticed was from an advertisement in July 1963. And so they would have this sort of typed, um, this is from their public relations that then they would send out to a lot of news outlets like all mm-hmm. over the country mm-hmm. um but this one in particular references um women's fa- or girls fashion being borrowed from the boys and so their whole mm-hmm. month of july was girls are giving a nod to the boys wear look in feminine versions and and i think i wouldn't have noticed that if it didn't um come up a few other times mm um and so it talks about feminine translations of the young dandy look reminiscent of the boys wear fashions from which they were borrowed and and so you know and you go into these and so they have an image uh for their you know that they put out for pr and so this is an image of i don't know she's maybe four or five and then they have a little phrase that goes along with the image um and it says this is a tomboy look and rayon from the boys and then Mm. they have one Uh, another age group up she's maybe 11 10 11 12 um again this talks about you know this outfit is great for for school um it's a skirt with a matching vest and then it also references being borrowed from the boys um and then the final one is another age group up she's maybe 15 16 um it says no femme fatale look to frighten the wary male (laughs) <laughs> but then it also references her really short haircut as a page boy hairstyle. Hmm. Um, and so, I don't know, this was just something that stood out to me. I think also because I'm coming from the context that I'm coming from and uh, using the research um, for like the juxtaposition that I was looking, like that this kind of fed into that or, or at least played a role. Um, mm-hmm. But then the following, the right after the month after um, their next line, you know, they do this every month, um, is they have a, their, their blurb for that month is the adage goes clothes don't make the man nor the teenage girl. And then they've completely switched and they talk about having the, this attire being completely feminine. Um, and it's a term initiated and fostered by the DuPont company to endorse a high standard of dress for the girls and formative years from 13 to 17. So I don't know, it was just Mm -hmm. something that came up as I was Researching and, and just seeing the, the quick flip from the next month. And of course, people aren't noticing this in their daily life. They're like, have many other hurdles to overcome? <laughs> um, I don't think, I mean, but also, you know, all this is advertising is subliminal. Um, so I just wanted to share that part.
0: Yeah, with and it you. shows sort of a scattershot marketing approach, um, whether you're worried about today's fashion and or uh, worried about um, transgressions across traditional gender boundaries Mm -hmm. or you uh, are embracing those changes either way you Mm -hmm. can find something uh (laughs) stylish in Dupont
1: products (laughs) yeah I mean decorum was really important uh and I think it's maybe less so or we've we're challenging that now of like what does it mean that I have bare legs you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. like people probably aren't thinking about that uh but but reading this from this archive was was a really juicy find. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, a, a lot of stuff about um uh again sex and gender um mm-hmm. that it sounds like you can apply in different ways to your visual work.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, Emily, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to share this with us. It's been really great, yeah. And, I, um, and it's such a an education to learn how an artist can use archival, um, art, uh, historical archives.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. It's been helpful to synthesize the massive amount of photos that I took, um, and deadlines <laughs> mm-hmm. are our friend to to bring some stuff together. So I appreciate you having me on and and the challenge. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, you're welcome. And for the audience, if you would like more Hagley History Hangouts, more information on the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library, you can join us online. Visit hagley.org. That's H-A-G-L-E-Y dot O-R-G. Don't be a stranger.